Hello, and welcome to Mystified. My name is Tasha. This is Steven. And this is a podcast where we bring you strange and unusual stories. Usually. <laughs> <laughs> what the? Okay, yeah. Um, so that was your cue. It was not your cue for Spider-Man or Superman to fall over and you get distracted. Yeah, I'm not we're, sure what happened. We're doing a podcast. This is a this is a podcast. Oh, okay. It's not a, it's not a visual cast. Mm. Um, so nobody just saw the debacle with you and the Superman in the corner. But okay. Uh, yeah. You here? We're good. Yeah, I think I think he's good now. I don't think he's gonna go toppling over again. Hopefully not. Batman looks pretty intense. Maybe he'll keep him in line. Well, Batman has a much better base mm. than the toddler sized Superman figure, who's just like a toddler. He just falls over freely. <laughs> uh. We'll, we'll post a picture so people know what we're talking about since. No. Why not? Because no. Nobody is going to come take your toys. They might. No, no one's going to. Um. So we have recently watched Peacemaker again. We binged it this weekend. It was great. It's good. Our review of it is uh, fantastic and awesome. You need to watch it. You need to watch the new Suicide Squad. Or, yeah. The Suicide Squad, the new one. And then right after, not the old one, because that's awful. But then right after, start watching Peacemaker and your life will be so much better. Yeah, for yeah. a little while. For a it's little not while. It's very long. It's only seven episodes. So I mean, at least if you binge, it's, it's a day's worth, in my opinion, because it's a two and a half hour movie, seven episodes. It's totally worth it. It'll bring you joy for it a will brief bring you joy. amount of time. Yeah. When, when we're not here with you and you need something else, you you can make do with James Gunn and Peacemaker. I don't think that's a fair comparison by any means. What, what are you talking about? Just now. Are you criticizing our content? Yes. Okay, good. I am just At being first I honest. thought you were uh, criticizing James Gunn's content. No. And I was like, wow. No. You no, think no. very highly of us and we are going to disappoint if this is someone's yeah, first. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. That was cool. my whole point. All right. So let's see. On this hot day, I'm going to tell you about some mobsters. You want to talk about mobsters? I always do. Yeah. So we're going to we're going to talk about mobsters and it's really fucking hot in here. So if I if all of a sudden just go silent, I've passed out from a heat stroke. (laughs) So just FYI, if that's what happens. Gang warfare ruled the streets of Chicago in the 1920s. As gangster Al Capone sought power by eliminating his rivals in bootlegging, gambling, and prostitution. The violence was almost unmatched and could easily be compared to, uh, you know, us going out into the Wild West and like the Westward expansion, and just all the horrible, awful shit that was happening then. That violence could be compared to what was happening in Chicago in the 20s. In 1924, there were 16 gang related deaths. By 1929, that number was reaching 64 murders that they know of. But like these were like the actual like reported ones when they started when they were like, oh, maybe we should be keeping track of like how many gang murders are happening. And by gangs, I mean like mobster gangs, not, you know, what most people think of gangs whenever people say gangs or whatever. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? During Prohibition, Chicago's Crime Commission recorded 703 gangland murders while countless other victims just disappeared. Swam with the fishes. Mm. 
got a new well, pair of I concrete mean, shoes. Yeah, that's one way to get rid of them. But they took a one-way trip. What? Uh, what was the population of Chicago at that time? I wonder. The population of Chicago in the 1920s was 2.7 million people. Oh, okay. So that's still a pretty low percentage. Yeah, but these were specific. These were specific wise guys taking each other out. Like that's 703. That's a lot of them that just got murdered. Yeah. Like. I would have thought. I'm just unimpressed with the number. But these are the ones that were reported. These aren't the ones, like I said, that swam with the fishes. They got brand new concrete shoes that took a one-way trip. Hmm. These are not those people. I still think those are rookie numbers. Okay. Compared to what? The numbers in my head. Okay. So you you believe in your head that it was much worse? Yep. Okay. It's more interesting that way. The violence reached a bloody climax in a garage on the city's north side. The date was February 14th, 1929. And Scarface himself was said to be responsible. The St. Valentine's Day Massacre, as it is known, remains an unsolved crime that has never officially been linked to Capone. But he was generally considered to have been responsible for ordering the hit. Al Capone made it to the Windy City in 1919. He was trying to escape a murder warrant and hooked up with an old friend, Johnny Torrio. I don't know if it's Torrio or Torrio. And there's like... A whole bunch of uh, shows. There's like Empire, board, Boardwalk, or um, is it Empire or Boardwalk Empire? One of the two. And then um, there's a bunch of different other mobster set shows, and they all enunciate these na- these names differently. Yeah. So I I have no idea how to actually say it. So <laughs> we're gonna go with my accent and how I read it. Sorry, any people that this is your name. I sorry. Okay. Yeah. We're good. Yeah. I mean, luckily, the mobsters are long gone, so I don't have to worry about that. But those mobsters are long gone. Yeah. Torrio, who was working for his uncle, Big Jim, and this one's another one, Colissimo or Colosimo. I've heard it both ways. Capone got to Chicago the same year that the federal government outlawed the manufacturing of alcohol. Almost overnight, gangsters turned their attention to the new lucrative business of bootlegging. Mm-hmm. It was, I still don't understand why the government did that. I mean, granted, alcohol can be really bad. Um, I don't think it's any worse than any other substances, really. Um, Conservatives. <clears throat> oh, is that what it was? Yep. Well, but you also got to remember in the 20s, people were, especially on Christmas, Christmas was just about getting fucking wasted like it wasn't this whole like family thing and santa claus with coca-cola and the red and white thing like it was literally just get as shit-faced as possible during this time and people were really awful so yeah but it's also very very heavily tied to what was going on in the country as a whole like the u.s it's it's weird it's almost like we don't really talk much about the period between the wars and what was going on here because it kind of got overshadowed by what happened in Germany, mm-hmm. which was similar to the the thought process that was going on here too. Mm-hmm. So yeah, like it's, uh, it was fucking dumb and it created a lot of really powerful empires and a lot of people murdered, but, mm-hmm. um, 
But didn't it also give us hot rods? Yeah, it did. Um, yeah. It gave us hot rods, but. Uh, At what cost? Yeah. At what cost? I mean, and I enjoy reading about organized criminals and stuff like that. I've got multiple stories that I plan on doing in the future about some oddball organized crime stuff. But uh, still, yeah, it's a mm-hmm. lot of lot of death because of. Yeah, what well, wasn't necessary. It's not really, not really a fair trade. Yeah, for sure. Say. Working for Big Jim, Capone started as a bouncer at one of the clubs. He then moved up to Bagman, who's the guy that goes and collects money, mm-hmm. you know, for that protection mm-hmm. and shit. And then as an enforcer, which he was really good at and made a lot of money doing. Yeah. So then he was like, you give me the money. Oh, you ain't got my money. Now this guy comes and breaks your legs and yeah. shit or makes you disappeared. Yeah. Yep. Got to be careful about that. That's And that sucks, man. Like how while they they were helping the neighborhoods and i mean i guess they did some good but yeah they just totally fucked with a lot of people's small businesses i mean yes and no that's that's the thing though because those businesses were not protected by anybody else true the police of the era were even the police of the era were just worthless at doing the things that it, it, there's always the whole thing. Well, like, well, if the mob wouldn't have been there, then they wouldn't have needed protection. And that's not true. Like literally the police were almost like a paid security force back then. Mm-hmm. So if you weren't wealthy, they weren't protecting your if shit. If you weren't white, they weren't protecting your And shit. wealthy still, yeah. even if you were white and you didn't have any money to pay, you were going to pay somebody to protect your business. Yeah. So it was either the police or the fucking mafia yeah so yeah probably slightly less chance that the no there wasn't it was probably about the same chance they would murder you so in 1920 big jim was assassinated in what is thought to be chicago's first gangland murder many suspected johnny and capone set up the hit to take out the old man and take all the business from the mobster but both boys had solid alibis so just squeaky and i say boys uh Johnny Trio is like older. <laughs> he's he's much older than Capone was. He's kind yeah. of like his mentor and whatever. But um, yeah. Johnny took over control of one of the largest crime empires in the U.S. He was a cunning businessman and grew the organization's bootlegging business into a multi-million dollar operation. Capone became his top lieutenant after a series of unfortunate but effective murders. So one of the big things is that Big Jim was not into he wanted to focus on the businesses that have always that had always worked. Right. And one of them being like protection money and things like that, where Mm -hmm. this whole bootlegging thing was like, yo, we need to get in on this. And he was very stubborn to change. So, yeah, if it's not broke, don't fix it. Right. You're just going to cause more people to pay attention to you. Right. So, So, yeah. yeah, he did not have the ambition. That that the other two actually had. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, all those made guys had, had to go somewhere. But I think they, I mean, it's all, it's said so Capone could be the top lieutenant. But I think a lot of those made guys were going to go somewhere anyway because Johnny couldn't trust them. Yeah. Because they were loyal to Big Jim. So, yeah. Yeah. But with him out of the picture, like, what does that fucking matter? Like they, if they would have turned, yeah, 
what could they have done? Like, yeah. The Torrio and Capone gang began taking over smaller rival gangs and waging a war with anything that was a threat. Capone eliminated any rival bootleggers. He killed numerous competitors, but his biggest foe was the Northside gang and its leader, Irish mobster Dean Dion O'Banion. So some people call him Dean. Some people call him Dion. Some swear he never went by Dion. I, mm-hmm. I just put all the names in there because okay. I have like three or four. Covered the bases. Yeah. yeah. Got it. So, but O'Banion is, is what he was known as. Madison Street in downtown Chicago provided the line that split the North and South Side gangs. For a while, that invisible line was respected until it wasn't. Torrio and O'Bannon had a truce, but he found out some guys from another gang were moving in on his turf and they were backed by Torrio. So it's this other like little kind of come up gang and, um, you know, they're kind of moving in on his on his turf and come to find out that the South Side was backing them. And it was kind of like their way to try to get into because, mm-hmm. um, of course, you know, it, with. I guess any mobster stories or whatever, it's always a fight over territory. Oh, like no one's ever like, okay, this is good, but, but we don't do that in anything. We're never like, okay, that's yours. This is mine. We're not going to, it's always that's yours. This is mine, but eventually yours is going to be mine. Like we always have that. Yeah. That that, that's frame. not just a mob thing. That's I know a, that's what that's I'm that's saying. That's, human. That, that's just <laughs> we people in general. Yeah. yeah. It's the way the world spins. So because that, uh, O'Banion found out that this gang was moving in um, and was backed by the Southside gang. He decided not to forgive a debt that was owed by someone um, in the Southside gang. And so therefore the truth truce was like done. Yeah. No. Decimated. Yeah. No longer. Got it. It it took um, a nap with the fishes. And the the truce the truce the truce went on a one way trip and didn't come back. Had a date with a Chicago typewriter. It had a date with a Chicago typewriter. It got the Joe Pesci from Casino treatment (laughs) with the baseball bat. So yeah, three of Capone's gunmen walked into O'Bannon's North Side Flower Shop on November fourth, nineteen twenty four, under the pretense of buying flowers for a funeral. As one of the men shook his hands, the other two opened fire and shot him dead. Mm-hmm. Shot him dead. Yeah. Earl Jaime Weiss was Obana's successor, and it was not long until the North Side boy struck back. Weiss was terminally ill with cancer, which made him heedless of his own safety when conducting bold attacks on the Torrio gang. In January 1925, the North Sider shot up Al Capone's car on the on 55th and State Street, it's hard to say, missing Capone, but wounding members of his entourage. A few weeks later, on January 24th, 1925, Johnny Torrio was ambushed by mobsters from the Northside gang. He was shot several times in the stomach, chest, arm, and jaw. George Bugs Moran put a gun to his head, but it jammed when he tried to pull the trigger. So the would-be assassins fled the scene and left him for dead. And this stubborn old man lived. Yeah. <laughs> he lived. Johnny was on death's door for many days, but somehow a month later, he left the hospital. He retired soon after, leaving everything to Capone. 
So he was like, you know, this is kind of fun and all, but I'm tired of this. I'm tired of this. I'm going to go ahead and go. Yeah, but even you don't get to do that. Like even Mm -hmm. when you walk away, you're still not gone. Yeah. Yeah. Because he does come back and he actually works with. um, Shoot. What what are the. I'm not going to be able to think of it. Yes, I am. Uh, Lucky. Lucky Luciano. He goes and like mentors and supports him. He's not part of his gang, but he's like the old Italian man that like he mm-hmm. goes and sees and he's like peeling an orange and some shit and talking about, <laughs> yeah. you know, like he becomes that for him um, later when on. Lucky couldn't figure out what to do about New York. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Once Torrio was out of the country, all hell broke loose on the streets of Chicago. Assassination attempts and murders were frequent as the gangs locked in a bloody battle. Earl Jaime Weiss continued the war against Capone for a few years until he too was ambushed and murdered. The role of mob boss then fell to Bugs Moran, who had almost eliminated Johnny himself. Moran was a horse thief and used those skills to hijack Capone's liquor shipments. Eventually, Capone took advantage of this pattern and set a trap that would finally wipe out the Northside gang's leadership once and for all. The bait was a shipment of old log cabin whiskey. I've, I've never had that brand, but just the name <laughs> makes me think that that shit was harsh to drink. Like that's one that's like it's a fire in your body until you you piss it out. Prohibition time. I'm pretty sure everything was like that. There was no smooth sipping, Mm-mm. drinking. No, it was all because a lot of it. There was no white claws. What you're telling me? Yeah, no. No, no Tito's triple distilled vodka. A lot of the shit mm. that was for sale was made in the hills. It was Whew. fucking moonshine. Yikes. Like, yeah. Ooh. Okay. So the bait was the old log cabin whiskey that has supposedly been stolen from Capone when it was en route to Chicago. Federal agents later claimed that the load was offered to Moran and that he mutually agreed on a price and the pickup was set. The delivery was scheduled for the morning of February 14th, 1929 at Moran's primary warehouse. Capone allegedly brought in two members of the Detroit's Purple Gang so they would not be recognized by the local mobsters to watch the garage near the apartment. They were to phone in when Bugs Moran arrived. The men were given a description, but not a photograph. <laughs> so they're like, yeah, see, he's about five foot seven with brown hair. And he's like, an Irish guy. Yeah, he, he's like, he'll be angry and throwing things <laughs> like so. So they gave these two out of towners a description of a dude. Yeah. Yeah. And well, you know. Around 10.30 a.m., they reported that a man resembling Moran had arrived at the warehouse. The visitor was actually Dr. Reinhard Schwimmer. Reinhard. Could you imagine Reinhard being your first name? Yikes. Schwimmer. (laughs) Um, A Chicago optometrist and gangster groupie who liked to spend time with the Northside crowd. Inside, Schwimmer found brothers Frank and Pete Gunnensburg, Moran's top trigger man. Adam Meter, James Clark, Al Weinshank, Winshank, Weinshank, Weinshank, and John May, the mechanic who kept the bootlegging vehicles in tip-top shape. So they could run that, them booze, you see? Mm-hmm. Yeah. As luck would have it, Bugs Moran had overslept that morning and was <laughs> running late to the meeting. 
because he still had to stop and get his coffee. He still had to do his morning stuff because, yeah. I mean, he he overslept, but that, that's your problem. Mm-hmm. He'll get there when he gets there, right? Yeah, he's the boss. He's the boss. As, bu- as Bugs approached on foot with two bodyguards at 11 a.m., he saw a police car stop in front of the garage. Fearing a routine bust, he turned around and left. Mm-hmm. So he was like, well, I'm going to go the other <laughs> way. Inside, the seven men were startled by the sudden appearance of two men in police uniforms. The two officers brandished their weapons and demanded the men line up against the brick wall. They did not put up any resistance, but they were starting to negotiate a bribe when two or three other men entered the warehouse. Before they had time to react, a storm of bullets from a 45 caliber Thompson machine gun cut them all down. A neighbor heard the gunfire and called the real police over. Only one gangster, Frank Gunnisberg, was barely alive when they arrived. He lived for two hours, but upheld the gangland code of silence, reportedly saying, nobody shot me. I ain't no copper. (laughs) (laughs) He's literally been cut down by a machine gun. And he's like, nobody shot me. Mm -hmm. I ain't ain't no copper. So, I mean, I think mainly just because he didn't know who the hell it was. Not that, you know, whatever. Well, no, because what's worse? What if he survives and then his own crew is going to look at him sideways and be like, you're a fucking rat. Like, Yeah, it's true. Yeah. Because um, you never knew. It could have been that it was somebody like, mm-hmm. yeah, organized crime was fucking wild. Yeah. Like, yeah, Half the time it was somebody on your own side that was taking you out. And we just talked about that with yeah. how Capone came to power. True. So, yeah, you just. You just be quiet. You just yeah. either lay there quietly and survive or lay there quietly and die. I like, didn't see nothing. I didn't see nine or copper. <laughs> However, Moran was not so tight-lipped. Only Capone kills like that. Reached at his Florida home for comments on the murders, Capone offered his own opinion. The only man who kills like that is Bugs Moran. So mm-hmm. Capone was in Florida yep. vacationing at the, you know mobster vacation central of the world but if it's not italy it's it's uh florida well it's, it's halfway between you know where they're from and uh sicily yeah. so yeah yeah makes sense not really but it's, it's not yeah <laughs> you know somebody's going yeah <laughs> no it's, it's it's really not um uh, no one was ever charged for the murder but capone's goal was finally met the north side gang was no more because yeah. They took out. The, I guess everybody's like, nope, mm-hmm. nope, 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 nope. Yeah. But his victory would also be his downfall with his effective organization, massive income and his willingness to eliminate his rivals viciously. Capone had become the country's most notorious gangster and the newspaper dubbed him public enemy number one. The government went after Capone on two fronts. Elliot Ness and his untouchables raided Capone's breweries and distilleries, while other agents built a tax evasion case. After Capone failed to appear before a federal grand jury after being subpoenaed in March 1929, federal agents arrested him for contempt of court. Capone posted bond and was released, only to be arrested in Philadelphia that May on charges of carrying concealed weapons. Capone served nine months in prison and was released for good behavior. Because Capone was such a good little boy. Mm-hmm. He, was, he was a good inmate. You know? Because he didn't do anything. He just told everybody else to do things. Mm-hmm. That's good when you're the boss. 
In February 1931, a federal court found Capone guilty on the contempt charge and sentenced him to six months in Cook County Jail. Through diligent forensic accounting, members of the intelligence unit of the IRS, Eternal Revenue Service, were able to put together a case. And in June of 1931, Capone was indicted for evasion of federal tax for federal income tax. Convicted that October after internationally publicized trial, Capone was sentenced to 11 years in prison, first in Atlanta, then later in Alcatraz. He was released in 1939, but by this time, syphilis had damaged his brain to delirium. He died January 25th, 1947. Mm -hmm. So all that money, all that power. I don't know if he had got the weeman because he was funky looking. Not oh, even no. like considering the scar on his face. But no, no. Capone. He had he had the ladies. Capone had the everybody. Capone was because that's the that's the thing is like he was one of the first people who when he was on trial, it was like a fucking spectacle. Mm -hmm. And like people loved him. Yeah. Like men, women and children thought Capone was the fucking coolest. He was wisecracking. He was very um, personable. Yeah. Mm -hmm. No. Now, Capone did fine, but the syphilis, yeah, yeah, yeah. totally ruined his thing. Yeah. I get, yeah. Well, I mean, I guess that he would be getting the ladies if he had, if the he syphilis. had the syphilis. Yeah. Man. Yeah. Wow, my addled brain did not click that. Maybe I've been <laughs> drinking that log house whiskey. <laughs> Shit, it took me a while for that one. While there's no definitive answer on who pulled the triggers, there are a few likely suspects. Fred Goats, known as Shotgun Greg Ziegler, bragged about participating in the slaughter. He was an army pilot in World War I and was studying medicine at the University of Illinois. His education was cut short when he was charged with the attempted rape of a seven-year-old girl. So he's just an all-around great guy. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, just, you know. Legal fees piled up, so he decided to rob a doctor he knew and ended up killing his victim in the botched-up robbery. He then changed his name and lived in, and lived on the run, later joining Capone's gang as a hitman. Fred Goats claimed he was, or I think it's Goats, Goats, who knows? Um, I don't give a shit. Fuck him. Who Fuck cares? that guy. <laughs> claimed he was one of the men pretending to be a police officer. Goats was later killed for running his mouth by Fred Barker. So he was part of this other gang also as a hitman and got drunk and read his, ran his mouth about that gang. So Fred Barker was like, nah, I got to take that fool out. So kind of makes it seem unlikely that he actually was one of the hitmen because he sounds like he just liked to fucking talk a lot. Yeah. So. But Capone did use him. So who knows? Another suspect is Fred Killer Burke, not to be confused with Fred that oft that other piece of shit. Yeah. This is a different Fred. Fred was obviously a very popular name. There's a lot of Freds. There's a lot of Freds running around. Um. He was an occasional contract killer for Capone with a reported 20 kills under his belt for Scarface. In December of 1929, during a routine traffic stop, Barker or Burke shot and killed Officer Charles Skelly. When police raided Burke's home, they found two submachine guns, one of which was linked by ballistics to the St. Valentine's Day massacre. Fred denied any involvement. Burke was arrested and charged with the murder of the officer and died in custody in 1940. Jack McGurn was thought to be the ringleader of the St. Valentine's Day massacre and was acting on Capone's direct orders, but he was never charged or prosecuted. Seven years after the massacre, an unknown gunman mowed him down at the bowling alley. 
The killer left a nickel in McGunn's right hand and a comic Valentine card near his body. Hmm. It read, You've lost your job. You've lost your dough, your jewels and handsome houses. But things could be worse, you know. You haven't lost your trousers. <laughs> and that's how they wrapped up that St. Valentine's Day massacre. Yep. So, which I think is just crazy. I think it's wild that this country outlawed alcohol. I mean, just being like how much of our, uh, not wealth, but how much money is spent yearly just on booze, clubs, bars, restaurants. It's also funny and completely American that they outlawed alcohol mm -hmm. and yet you could still go down to like JC Penny or any hardware store and buy a fucking Tommy gun. Right. <laughs> like yeah. the alcohol was the problem, but you could have your machine gun. Correct. That's fine. Correct. Like uh yeah. Yeah. You live in the upside down. <laughs> yeah. Definitely. And it would have been much worse then. But yeah. So I, I just think it's crazy. And like reading about all the the mobsters and stuff from that time and that time period and just how often people got off to like mm -hmm. very publicly, like literally a car pulling up, them shooting out the windows of a restaurant, killing everyone sitting in the front. That's why mob people sat in the back. Like it it was. I mean, it's a little calmer today, but it still goes on because we still have prohibition. Yeah, we still have a massive power grab and a lot of money based on prohibited things like that's yeah. uh not that different and I, I, if you don't pay a lot of attention to the news yeah you might not see it because it's not mainly like stuff in the streets of chicago or new york or stuff but it still happens in like every fucking major city like there are yeah. brazen middle of the day like shootouts and shit's just we're, we're kind of i guess numb to it because yeah. it just doesn't register anymore but back then i guess it was a little bit more but yeah, yeah. so no yeah. it's still here i mean i i remember john Gotti. like i remember all of that mm -hmm. happening and you know it's wild yeah mob has always been really wild for me and what was um what was that movie we watched that was based on a true true story where was it the irishman Kill the irishman and they could they didn't get him until he went to the dentist mm -hmm. and he was leaving and he knew he got made. Yeah. 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 The the Irish God, the Irish mob is its own unique animal too. Yeah. Like it's there's a oh man. Yeah. Yeah, there's a lot of wild stories. Yeah. With all of that. But yeah. So favorite favorite mob movie. You already know what my favorite mob movie is. Uh-huh. Which is? That would be Goodfellas. It is Goodfellas. Yeah, you know that. That is the best one. Yeah. Yeah. I mean. I mean, Scarf? Henry Hill's a bitch, but. Yeah. But Ray Liotta, oh, rest his soul. Right. Um, is fantastic in it. Yeah. Absolutely fantastic as him. But the fact that that guy. I keep forgetting that he just passed away. That mm -hmm. I'm reminded and then I'm sad all over again. Yeah. Let's take a moment for Ray. But it's crazy that. Henry Hill lived that they weren't ever able to take him out because you know mm -hmm. you know he had hits on him witness um, protection yeah but how often does the government actually like 
do well on something like that. <laughs> True. Yeah, if I, I would never trust that that would keep me safe. I would be like, I'm going to go to another country now because you guys is not. How is that going to keep you safe? Like, mm, yeah, yeah. I mean, I don't know. Scary. Yeah. Scary, scary. But yeah. Well, thank you so much for listening. We really appreciate it. Um, if you would like more information about us on our episodes or anything like that, head on over to our website at mystifiedpod.com. You can get merch. You can leave us reviews. You can do all kinds of stuff. If you want to hang out with us on social media, you can. We're on Instagram at mystified underscore pod. And we are on Facebook at mystified podcast discussion group. Come on over there. Hang out with us. Chat. Do the social things, you know, that we like to do. Um, it's hot. Mm-hmm. It's, it's it's hot, people. So I'm sorry <laughs> if this is shorter than what you normally get, but it's it's hot. We have to figure out how to have air circulating in this room while we're in here, or maybe record at like 2 a.m. or something. Because yeah, my god, it is steamy. I knew there was a reason why I didn't want to record yet, and yeah. I completely forgot until we came in here. Mm-hmm. And now I'm like, mm-hmm. fuck. That's why. Things that should not be sweating are sweating. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, until next time. Bye. Mystified. Podcast.